Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. Today, we're going to be breaking down the NBA draft lottery and what that will mean for the NBA draft, plus uh, kind of discussing what's going on in the playoffs as we head into the conference finals. But before I bring in Dan Feldman and we get into all that, I just want to say now, if you've been a fan of this podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Uh, comment there. That really actually helps bump things up. Or go to Stitcher, subscribe there. Of course, you can find us on Audio Boom with all of the NBC Sports podcasts from all the regionals plus the national podcasts. Great stuff there. And of course, NBCSports.com, where you can find our archives as well. Now, let's bring in Dan Feldman to start breaking down the lottery. How's it going today, Dan? Good. How are you? Doing good. Let's start with, obviously, the biggest winner out of what is a hard-to-watch half-hour show with the NBA Draft Lottery, Joel Embiid. Wasn't he easily the only entertaining part of that entire show? I I really, more than Embiid, I got a kick out of Magic Johnson, uh, who just always presents himself as so calm and collected and smooth, like... You could tell he was feeling the, the pressure of it, and when they got that top three pick, the relief on his face, I don't know if I've ever seen that from him. Yeah, it's kind of funny. There's so much pressure on the Lakers in this draft, and I think we'll get to that. But obviously, we'll start with Boston. They get the number one pick. Pretty much everybody has Markel Fultz on the top of their board. I mean, there's some people talking about ball, but I don't really know anybody who seriously thinks Fultz isn't a safer pick at the very least. Do you think they, if you're if you're Danny Ainge now, you're kind of presented with the, a series of challenges. It starts with, do you keep this pick or trade it? Uh, where would you stand if you're him? I mean, it depends what you can get. I'd have no reservations of, about keeping the pick, taking faults, or maybe even ball. I, I'm open to either one being on top of the board. I, I definitely agree with you that faults is the safer pick. I think ball is the higher upside pick. How to balance that? I'm not exactly sure. I go back and forth on that, still digging into that one. Uh but as, as far as keeping it or trading it, it depends what you can get. I, I wouldn't trade it for Paul George, who would be a free agent in a year. I'd maybe do it for Jimmy Butler, depending on what Butler uh, at least expresses about his future. Uh, but below that, like, I'm happy. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing if you're, if you're Danny Ainge, because you're kind of gonna, you run into a couple of problems. If you're going to trade that pick, I'm with you on not trading it for Paul George because now you've put yourself in very much a win-now place. And then suddenly next summer, you're going to have Isaiah Thomas, who is a 2018 free agent, and 
Paul George, you're going to have to probably max both of them out. It's just going to get to it's just more expense than you want to spend to run into the wall of LeBron James probably again. Like, I, and that doesn't mean that they don't suddenly become a team that can contend with the Cavaliers, but I don't know that you suddenly pass them clearly or something. So you're in an interesting spot. Jimmy Butler's under contract for a couple more years. That makes more sense to me. If you've got Jimmy Butler for a couple of years, you you can try to make this thing work in, in a win-now way. So I think that that's the only trade I'd consider. But if my money's actually on them keeping it and just saying, you know what, we'll target three years from now. We'll, or you, Rather than trying to be the 2018 playoff gem, we'll think about the 2019 playoffs and the 2020 playoffs and, and focus more on that end. The problem with that approach, though, is that Isaiah Thomas is at an age where small point guards tend to drop off, can drop off quickly. Uh, so you might just have like two good windows, like back-to-back, two uh, good windows, but no great windows. I mean, yes, there is the whole what happens with Isaiah and, and the – do you want to pay him? I mean, if let's say you hypothetically we draft Fultz, and you're like, all right, Fultz is kind of kind of be he's a very good pick and roll guy. He's a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands. He can play off it, but he can probably play on it pretty well. Is this a situation where how much do you want to pay Thomas? You can talk about, and we've talked about this before, trying to extend him this summer, but you might want to keep that cap space if you're going to try to build around Fultz and. Uh, Al Horford for a couple years. So I don't know what they're going to do. I, it's not a really simple f- situation going forward once you factor in Isaiah Thomas. Um, but I don't, I think, I still think they're more likely to keep it, especially when you look at, listen to the owner last night who basically said, hey, picks are too, like this kind of pick is just too valuable. You get a great player and you get him for five years really cheap. Right. And, and that's the thing, like it's possible there could be a trade. Like it's possible there's something that could, could work, but it's just so hard for another team to match that because of the cost control and, and because, like, it has to be matched the other way. So the name, like, I think we circle around that makes a little bit of sense is Jimmy Butler, but Butler's on track to be able to get that designated uh, veteran player extension from the Bulls. So the Bulls have more value tied up in Butler. The Celtics have this exceptional value because of how cost controlled the pickets. It's really hard to find a match in trade. Yeah, so it, it's going to be a mess for them. I, but, it, it, well, a mess is the wrong word. Like, if your biggest problem is how do we fit all these stars under the cap and should we trade for an, for an all-NBA-level player at Jimmy Butler, those aren't and, – and you're already, by the way, the number one seed and in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, you're in a good spot. I, I still think that they are the team that becomes the team to beat after LeBron fades, assuming LeBron actually is human and fades. But, I mean, I still think they got next. The problem is it's just not staying at that level and taking the step forward is not going to be simple for them, even even if they nail this pick. Right, and you don't, like, we don't know exactly when LeBron's going to fade. It could come sooner than, than most people realize. I mean, he's getting up there in age. You know, there could be one year. Maybe he doesn't fade completely, but there could be one year where he's a little down, a little tired, maybe even hurt during the playoffs. You don't want to say look back and say, man, we could have been there. We could have been that team, uh, but we were putting it off an extra two years. Yeah. And by the way, you look at everybody else. Think about LeBron James's draft class and where Carmelo Anthony is and where Chris Bosh is and where, like, like that entire, when, wait, you look at that draft class and you're like, LeBron's just such a freak of nature that he's still playing at this level, is not injured. It's just crazy that we haven't had 
any really any sub, he's been great about taking care of his body. He, he dials it back a little during the regular season, but there isn't a substantial drop off like there has been with everybody else in his class. Well, it helps that he came in out of high school, was a little younger. That helps, but like he's also just like superhuman. This is why he's in the discussion as the greatest player of all time because he's doing it for so long. Like not even Michael Jordan was elite for this long. It's really incredible. It is. So we'll move on to the second pick, the Los Angeles Lakers. There's a real A. This was a huge win for them, not just because they get the number two pick, but because they get to keep their number 19, their 2019 pick. If they had lost this pick, if they had slipped to four or lower, the 2019 pick reverted to Orlando, and they basically, it was going to be much tougher. They're going to draft. They're not There's going to be talk about the Paul George trade and stuff. Not going to happen. I really don't believe they'll do it. I believe what they're going to do Probably draft Lonzo Ball, the local, you know, UCLA, Southern California kid, as big a pain as they might think LeVar could be. <laughs> His father, they think they could deal with that. You bring in Lonzo as a point guard. And I think, don't you, with your first, don't you try him next to D'Angelo Russell? I don't think you just move D'Angelo Russell and somebody, unless somebody comes in with a stupid offer. Hey, two, go- two guards who are both ball handlers work really well together in today's NBA. Right, they could work very well offensively. Uh, defensively, yeah. there's some reason for concern. Uh, and look, at neither one of them is a guaranteed star. Like, you don't want to move the wrong one. You don't want to say, okay, well, we got Lonzo Ball, time to move D'Angelo Russell. Because Ball, like, hasn't done anything in the NBA. He might not be any good in the NBA. Now, I don't think that's what it's going to be. But busts happen. We don't always see them coming. We rarely see them coming. That's why players go high yeah. and then don't pan out. Uh, so there, there's just value. Even if they can't play together, there's value in hedging your bets. Yeah, exactly. See if they can play together. And if not, you, you move Russell. Uh, the, the Lakers are already getting calls about him, but I, I think they'll take their time there. Hey, you've got a young core. This has been, I think we're at that point with the Lakers where this has been the question about them as an organization, which is simply this. Can, you, can they become an organization that develops players? Because they haven't had to be. They've never really been. But that's where, if, if, you're in the, if you're going to be successful in the NBA, you have to have that. You do. And, and they also have the option, though, of not quite doing it. Like, they could trade early. They could trade some of these underdeveloped guys to teams that believe in them. Now, if you can develop them, improve their stock, wait, delay that, you're going to be better off. Uh, but there is at least that option of, and that, maybe not even for Paul George, but for somebody to, to trade some of these young players and get somebody more proven. I think you're going to get that. I think with the Lakers, they will eventually start moving pieces around. But look, this is what you've got to do. And hey, you look at the teams that are coming up or are successful. It's, it's San Antonio is, is obviously just the masters. of. They're, they're going to do it again this year. They're going to draft, I think it's 27th or 28th. They will pick somebody and we'll all go, who? And in three years, we'll be like, well, how did everybody pass on this guy? And then, But you look at the other teams. Golden State, obviously, outside of Kevin Durant and Iguodala, drafted and developed this team. You know, uh, Utah has been great about drafting and developing guys like Rudy Gobert and Gordon Hayward. So, like, it's just how you're going to have to do it in the future. You can you can add a superstar via free agency, but you're going to have to have the pieces around them to make it work from in house. So we'll see if the Lakers can be that kind of team. Number three. I, another. I, this is a great win for Philadelphia, even though the whole it's actually the the Kings pick <laughs> confused the heck out of uh, Joel Embiid on the stage. Um, 
it's a look. They're going to add another talented piece. I think their only question is, do they want uh, Josh Jackson? I think would be a athletic wing defender. I I see that as a fit, but it's not a shooter, and he's not a bad shooter. But what's your other option there? I mean, Tatum's kind of an isolation guy. I don't know if you want to go there. Deer and Fox can't doesn't want to shoot. Really, isn't a great shooter either. I just I think Jackson. I'd rather have a guy who can defend and has a high motor and we'll teach him to shoot. I, I I generally agree with that, but a little more broadly, I'd rather just have a good player. And I think Jackson is probably the top prospect who's going to be there at three and sort the, sort the rest out later. Like don't be overly concerned with fit in the draft because drafting is so hard. It's so hard to get these right. And if you're overly concerned with fit, like that's when teams make mistakes. So get, get the best prospect available. If that's Josh Jackson. And right now I think it is. And, Work it out later. If you're looking for a fit, uh, one name you didn't mention that maybe is the fit is Malik Monk. Yeah, like he might fit better, but if he's just not as good of a prospect, it's not going to work out. Yeah, exactly. Phoenix, uh, I don't know if you call them a loser. They fall them two to four. Um, it's probably not ideal for them as they try to rebuild. Um, but they'll have options there. Uh, they probably go with Tatum, but if they aren't sold on or they want to move Eric Bledsoe as a point guard, they could. They could consider taking Fox out of Kentucky, who's who's still really fast with the ball, um, good good defender. Yeah, the Suns' mo has been getting athletic guys with a lot of upside. Uh, so I think Tatum probably fits that bill. And it is sort of I don't know if there's a consensus yet. I don't know if we're quite there. But if there is a consensus, wouldn't you say he's probably the consensus number four pick behind? Oh yeah, Vault, Ball, and Jackson. I would. I've I've been told that basically, and there's people that are higher on Fox. Like he seems to be climbing a little, but basically that the line was four. Like the the a lot of people had Fultz. You know, maybe have Fultz on their own tier. Maybe they have Ball close to him. But yeah, the other thing is, I've been told. Yeah, I've been told a couple of times now that there kind of was a line there. I guess Fox is climbing on some boards, but that there was kind of a four, a line at four, and then a leather line around ten or twelve. Like there, there were real distinct tiers for teams uh, and, and kind of drop-off points. And Tatum was on that upper t- echelon and nobody else was. I just think you take him. Yeah, he likes to score a little bit in isolation, but that's not all bad. I mean, if you've got if you've got Booker and Tatum, that's two young players who can put the ball in the basket and you got to worry about defense and some stuff. But, hey, get guys who can play and start figuring it out. Late, you know, I, I Look, if your 2-3-4 are... Booker, Tatum, and Marquise Chris, that might not be bad. Uh, and you know who always gets forgotten about? Uh, Dragon Bender, yeah. who I really like coming in the draft. He was hurt most of last year. Even when he was healthy, the Suns didn't really unleash him. Uh, but his plus skill is supposed to be really passing for a big man. So having other scorers around him isn't necessarily a bad thing if he develops as they hope. Yeah, so suddenly you've got some really nice pieces there and and it starts to come together. We'll see if Ryan McDonough gets to hang around and be part of that. Sacramento is a weird one because on one hand, you want to say they lost because they had to swap. They had to swap with Philly, so they're fifth instead of third, but they were going to be picking eighth. So <laughs> instead of eight and ten, they're five and ten. That's not bad for them. And again, that's a team now that's all about development, that's all about just picking the best player on the board. They, they could use a point guard. they probably take Fox, but... They've got to start. Look, they're in full-on rebuild mode. They are going to be the worst team in the NBA next year. They are going to win 22 games, 23 games, depending on who they draft and what they do this summer. 
it's going to be a rough year, and they've just got to see if they can put in together a development program, build these guys, and if their owner can actually let it happen. Right, so you said Fox. I know I'm a little higher on him, but I see Fox and Dennis Smith from North Carolina State sort of uh, similar. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily in style, but in terms of quality of prospect. So if I'm the Kings, I'm looking at one of those two guys. I, I think they'd make a lot of sense. They need a point guard. The tricky thing about the developmental track is they can really only do it safely for a year because of that same trade that cost them this year. They owe the 76ers their unprotected 2019 first-rounder. So they basically have one year to be developmental and tank, and, and then the following year, you don't have your own draft picks, so you just might as well try and win. Oh, the joys of being in in Sacramento. I feel bad for their fans sometimes. They also, will, by the way, will get somebody at 10. And again, that's kind of a bubble spot, but they'll be, that's two lottery picks. That's, that's some quality you can add there. Orlando falls a little bit to six. Uh, they're only, I think they're maybe the biggest loser, though, because they slide a spot, but they also now, they get two second rounders from the Lakers, but they don't get the 2019 first, which would have been big. Yeah, that that's a big loss because... The Lakers have been bad. They have young players, and they're run by, like, novices. Like, Magic Johnson hasn't done this. Rob Link hasn't done this. And maybe they can. Maybe they will. Uh, but I would love to have a, a first-round pick coming from the Lakers. That's a huge drop, more so than their drop within the draft. Uh, but the drop within the draft isn't great either. No, it doesn't help. The Minnesota slides to seven. New York slides to eight. And from there, Phil Jackson will be able to solve all their problems. Um, did, didn't you hear what he said? He said we do this really well. Yes, I did. We're hear really that. good at our jobs. Um, okay. I mean, they except for the like, and you want to say, well, he drafted Porzingis. Except, remember how hard he tried to move that pick on draft night? Like he desperately tried to get rid of that pick before taking Porzingis. Yeah, but I, I think we've got to give him credit for doing it. Nobody yeah. else did it. He did it. Like there's so many what ifs and could ofs and. You know, maybe if we saw every team's draft board, we'd think really differently. Like, maybe, I don't think this is the case. But, like, what if the Spurs, all these great draft picks, the player they would have taken instead, like, their next 10 players on their board were all terrible. Uh, but there was another team that, like, always made the wrong pick, but their next 10 picks on their board, their next 10 choices were all great. They just happened to get number one wrong. Like, it's more complex than, than we can assess who's actually good at drafting. So I think we really have to only go by, like, who you took. And Phil Jackson took Porzingis. you got to give him credit for that and nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dallas at number nine. Uh, they tanked last year. I don't know if, if you saw Mark Cuban basically said, yeah, once we were out of the playoffs. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, a surprise to no one. But it's just, it, it's only interesting in that he was that forward and just said, well, yeah. Um, but it wasn't a surprise. Sacramento at 10. Charlotte at 11. Your Detroit Pistons, Dan, at 12. Uh Denver 13, Miami 14. Was there anything else you found out of the lottery that was interesting or, or you think makes a, is, is going to be something to really follow? I, I feel like we covered most of the main storylines. I think the storylines are, are at the top and yeah. you know, with everybody just slotting in afterward as expected. I, I don't know if there was too big of a thing there in any way. Yeah, I think if one team is going to be active and, and has three first-round picks um, at 15, 20, and 26, uh, it's Portland. Um, I think they might be somebody who tries to move those picks or, or package those picks. I, you don't get this NFL style like, hey, if we package the 15 and the 20, we can move up to 10 or something. It doesn't really work in the NBA because you just need talent and, and teams don't really want to make that kind of move. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it'd be nice if they could move up and get maybe a, more of an impact player because they have decent depth when they're healthy. Like, they had some guys who were a little disappointing this year, uh, but I still think Myers Leonard is a solid, helpful player. Like, uh, guys well, like Mo Harkless, Alan Crabb, they have plenty of uh, solid players. Uh, they have two clear difference makers in Lillard and McCollum, and a maybe difference maker, like you said, in Nurkic. Uh, you know, he's at least a solid, helpful player, uh, but he could also be a difference maker. We saw a glimpse of that when he was engaged and happy and in an environment he wanted to be in. So we'll see how he sustains that once he gets healthy and comes back next season. Uh, but they could probably use a difference maker, and I don't know if they can get that where they're drafting. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that through the draft, which is why I think you could see, you know, you could see them package picks and a, and a player to try to get something that they think will help them more right now. But I think with Nurkic, you started to see a team that could defend a little better and, and do some of the things that they need to do. They're, oh, look, as long as you have two guards that are six foot, you're not going to defend well in the backcourt against against elite teams. But those guys put up a lot of points. They're clear, different. Like you said, they, they are. Guys, you're going to want on the floor, and if you can defend around them, like Alan Crabb comes back with a slightly better season and stuff. That they're in a, I just think I just got a gut feeling that they're going to be active. So they did once. They settled into that core with Lillard and Aldridge and and Wes Matthews and Batum, and they got some success out of it. And I think a lot of their success was because of their chemistry. Uh, and then it didn't last because Aldridge left and. And so this is not a team that I think is going to rest on its laurel. That hasn't really been their M.O. No. So, Dan, let's move on. I want to talk about the conference finals as we go forward. I feel terrible. I, like, I feel like we were robbed of a potentially interesting series because of the Kawhi Leonard um, ankle injury. Uh, and, yeah, that led to a lot of interesting is Zaza Pachulia dirty. I don't know that he's dirty. Do you? I mean, to me, he's more in the Matthew Dellavedova, not dirty but reckless category. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know where to exactly set the line on is a player dirty, but that player was dirty. Yeah. That play was absolutely dirty. I mean, that the, I, I didn't watch the game live, so I heard about this, and I – you know, I figured it'd be like a Delavadova situation where there's some plausible deniability and, you know, some arguments either way, and you really got to Zapruder the, the tape and all that. When I watched it, that was dirty. That second slide, because Kawhi was fading away, he keeps closing out and closing out and getting underneath him. That play was dirty. I think this is just something the NBA has to make a point of emphasis again. They did this a couple of years ago where they said, hey, creating that landing space for jump shooters was a priority. They've got to get back to that and do it. If you're going to make the three-point shot, got to have you've got to have landing. You, you're just going to end up with too many injuries and too many injuries to key players. So uh, this isn't a, a specific example with Leonard, but I think it's a bigger issue that the league needs to address next year. I I agree completely. Uh, I wish there were a logical way to address it now because it's really you know in hindsight. I'm not saying I was one banging the drum that they had to fix this. But in hindsight, it's something they should have addressed sooner, uh, and it shouldn't have gotten to this point. Easier said than done. Like it always takes an incident like this to want to do it after the fact. They get that's how it works, and uh, just ideally, it's something they could have changed already. Yep, exactly. Do you get? You know, I'll, I'll say I do a fair amount of radio hits and stuff. I get a lot of this. Is it good for the NBA to have? <laughs> We're on, look, we're on a collision course. We're all now, especially, look, I don't really think many people give Boston much of a chance. I don't give Boston much of a chance against Cleveland. Um, with, with, especially with the Kawhi injury, 
any chance of that series being interesting. Maybe he comes back in game three. Maybe they hold home court, but I've, I got a feeling this is a back to a four or five game series. If that's the case and we're just on a collision course, is it good for the NBA to have the Warriors and Cavaliers in the finals for a third straight year and have almost an uninteresting playoffs to get to it? Because, or not a lot of drama just because we all saw what was coming. Well, look, the Warriors and Cavaliers themselves ruined be- between them four series. Uh, the Cavs were just way too good for for the Raptors and the Pacers. The Warriors were were way too good for the Jazz, and uh, I don't, you know, they were so dominant. I can't even remember Portland. now who they blew through Portland, who they blew through in the first round. Like that's why those series were bad. The Cavaliers and Warriors have nothing to do with these other series being disappointing. Uh, they have nothing to do with Kawhi Leonard getting hurt and robbing us of what really for about a little more than. 24 minutes seemed like it was shaping up to be a real awesome, interesting, compelling series. Like, there's a little bit of bad luck. There's a little bit of just other teams disappointing. Uh, So I think we're making too grand of judgments if we say that the Warriors and Cavaliers ruined the playoffs. They ruined four series. That's it. Yeah, and I... Look, I think the arguments are simply... The counter-arguments are twofold. A, the NBA has always been, always gotten the highest ratings, always been the most popular when its biggest stars are on its biggest stages. And we're going to get that starting June 1st. It's going to be Steph Curry and LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Lo- Like, all these name players on a big stage, battling it out in, in what, whatever the finals ends up being. But, like, that's when the NBA does its best ratings. Um, the ratings for the first round were up. It's been a bit mixed since then. But, um, look, I think the finals ratings will be good. And I don't really think it's bad for the NBA to do this. It, it It's a, also just a weird situation in the sense that these dyna, you know, these super teams, well, look, Golden State didn't buy a super team. They developed Klay <laughs> Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Uh, these were all guys they drafted, all guys they built, all guys they had a vision for. They did a phenomenal job putting it together. Did Kevin Durant come to that? Yeah. Did that happen only because of a random fluke in the, with the TV deal money and no smoothing and it just allowed a cap space bubble that let them pull this off? Yes. It's not something that's going to be repeated. So I think it's just kind of a fluke. Just kind of like LeBron leaves, they get Kyrie Irving. They, they're able to put together Tristan Thompson. They're able to put together some good young pieces in Cleveland. And then, hey, LeBron comes back, they get Kevin Love, and suddenly, oh, hey, it's a super team. Well, yeah, but a lot of that core of that super team was able to be built without him there. Right. Like, that, that's that's the biggest thing to keep in mind. We, it's one debate to say, is this good for the NBA right now? It's a whole different question, which I think is the more important one that you just answered. Does the if it, if it is bad for the NBA, does the NBA need to do something about it? And that one, I definitely, firmly am with you. No. Like, it is these fluky things that led to it, and if you try and prevent it from happening in the future, you're going to have some bad unintended consequences. Yeah, exactly. This isn't going to be a, a situation to me where this situation is repeatable. You know, uh, we're talking about who's next. Well, all right, who is next? Probably Boston in the East, but look how they're going to build this team. Yes, they, they got Isaiah Thomas out of, you know, I don't want to say off the scrap heap. He was a good player, but he's sure nobody, trading. Nobody, yeah, but nobody thought he was going to be this good. Um, no. They've drafted everybody else on that team, including whatever they do with the number one pick. And, yeah, they went, one, they went and got Al Horford. They basically got one free agent. You look out west, who are the teams on the rise? 
Utah, self-built team, if, if they can keep Gordon Hayward. Minnesota, self-built team. Again, did it through the draft, did it by Big Bet for a few years. They haven't really gone out and done it via free agency. They'll probably add somebody down the line, but that's not been the, you know, that's not been their MO. You've got to do it through the draft. When you look about, hey, how are the how are these teams we were talking about to start? You know, the Lakers and the Sixers and all these teams. Like, again, you've got to do it through the draft these days. You just cannot buy a team. So I don't know that the model is we could discuss the draft lottery model, but I mean, I don't know that the NBA's financial model is broken. It's just kind of a fluky situation. Well, well, you just hit the nail on the head of, of what the real concern should be, and that's the 76ers being awesome in a few years and teams wanting to emulate that, because I don't think that is good for the NBA. Great for the 76ers. Like, I have no problems at all with the 76ers taking advantage, but it's not good for the league when a team, let alone one in a major market, which everybody forgets because the 76ers have been so bad, uh, but when a team yeah. just says, hey, we're throwing a few years, and then we expect to be great a few years after that. Like, that's not good for the league. And, and so I, I think that's the the systematic thing that needs to be addressed. Yeah, exactly. And and, and the, fixing the draft lottery is a whole other podcast because that's <laughs> that it, there's no simple, clean answer there. It would already exist. It's, you know... There's flaws with every system, so we it, should do that podcast. We actually that might be a fun summer off season podcast, and, and bring in and, and just discuss that because that would be a fun one. But uh, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna get into all of that now. The the, no. the honorary annual Zach Lowe, how do we fix the draft lottery podcast? Will come come down the line, but we're not gonna do it. Today. <laughs> um, I I think that covers it. Dan, thanks for thanks for taking the time and jumping on the podcast this week. Thanks for having me.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.